Hey, it's Jeff. Thanks for downloading this podcast. And do yourself a favor to hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. This is the Records and Rockstars radio podcast with Jeff Woods. So what's in a name? If you're talking baby names, apparently a lot, and I get that. I still don't get gender reveals, but that's for a different podcast. This one's about music, records and rock stars taking a look this time at band names. Now talk about an important task. We're talking about a brand. What a band chooses to call itself can most definitely influence how receptive we're going to be to checking them out. Many bands try to come up with a name that somehow conveys what they do and how they sound or what they stand for. You think The Clash? You think these guys are talking about things other than my baby. I mean, if you imagine hearing the name Black Sabbath in the absence of hearing their music, you're probably not expecting easy listening. Same trip with Metallica. Not every band's music correlates that easily to the way they sound, though. And some don't at all. Who would have thought a band named The Grateful Dead would end up largely playing country and folk-flavored songs? Beyond matching the band's image with the band's name and their music, there's the consideration of what the name looks like in print. For example, on a t-shirt. Will it stand out and attract fans on the merits of the name alone? And is there anything else important when naming your band? Well, it's got to be unique, meaning it's yours alone. Otherwise, you get sued or at the very least confuse the audience. Truth be told, these days there's so many bands, confusion sort of comes with the scenery. So back we go with some absolute legends and how these bands got their names in the first of three parts. Part one, bands that took their name from people, places, and things. What's your name, little girl? What's your name? As the old joke goes, those who can't do, teach, and those who can't teach, teach Jim. I said it was a joke. Leads us due south to the city with the high school named after the American Civil War General Robert E. Lee. That'd be Jacksonville, Florida, circa 1965, with two long-haired guitarists named Rosington and Collins. Their aversion to the barber landed them suspensions and harassment by their high school gym teacher, So they dropped out and moved to a cabin in Green Cove Springs where they dug deeper into their music and beer cans. And by 1970, their bar band were looking for a record deal. And taking note of their talent, the guy who'd played the organ on Bob Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone, Al Cooper, with a K, signed the long-haired country boys to his Sounds of the South label in 72. Band roadie Billy Powell promoted to playing piano, and a third guitarist added to what had become a seven-man band, fronted by a shorter fellow with his hair colored yellow, as the Noble Five found a new name, simply by adding the letter Y four times and slapping a D on the end of the name of that gym teacher with the aversion to the long hair, as Leonard Skinner begat Leonard Skinnerd, who made a stack of records for MCA. Maybe 
Leonard Skinner to start a three-parter on how bands got their names. Another Southern-born band, Marshall Tucker, as it's actually spelled, was a real person. He wasn't in the band, though. They simply found his name on the key tag to their rehearsal space. Story goes Marshall Tucker was a blind piano tuner who'd previously rented out the room. Sometimes bands pick a name and it sticks. Other times, not even close. Enter schoolmates Roger and Nick. That's guitarist Roger Waters, drummer Nick Mason. They were London classmates studying architecture, eventually joined by another classmate named Richard, who then also played guitar. Turns out he was Mr. Wright for the early band that would feature six members who called themselves Sigma Six. Roger Waters took over on bass, Rick Wright keyboards... But nothing changed more than their band's names. Sigma Six became the Megadeths, the Abdabs, the Screaming Abdabs, Leonard's Lodgers, the Spectrum Five, the T-Set, and then along came Waters' childhood friend, an art student named Sid, who was incredibly outgoing back then, at least in 1965, and became their frontman, and soon yet another new name, the Pink Floyd Sound. Why that name? Upon the T-Set's discovery that there was another band called the T-Set, Sid looked to his own record collection, combined the names of two early blues artists from America named Pink Anderson and Floyd Council. They dropped the the and they dropped the sound and simply called themselves Pink Floyd. Making fun of the suits with the lyric, by the way, which one's pink? Pink Floyd, within ten years of their existence, got as big as it got. Which leads us to this perfect full-circle story about how two other four-man bands got their names. It was 1956. A 16-year-old John Lennon started a band with his Quarry Bank High School buds, calling them the Quarrymen. In 57, Paul McCartney joined. He brought along George Harrison in 58, and while John and Paul and George would build themselves in 59 as three guitarists called Johnny and the Moondogs, by 1960, the Beatles were born, first as Silver Beatles with two E's, then they dropped the silver, and they intentionally misspelled the Beatles with an E and an A, as you know. It was a nod to their hero, Buddy Holly's band, The Crickets. Buddy was an American, as was this other four-man band, who came from the suburb where the Beatles had played in the summer of 64, Forest Hills, Queens, New York. Their bassist, Douglas Colvin, knowing the name with which Paul McCartney had checked into hotels, not as Paul McCartney, but as Paul Ramone. And that led to the bright idea to call this new band that, but plural, the Ramones, each member replacing their actual last names with that, and so Douglas Colvin became Dee Dee Ramone. Guitarist John Cummings, Johnny Ramone. Drummer Jeffrey Hyman, Joey Ramone. And then Joey, realizing he couldn't keep up with the band's increasingly fast songs, decided to become the singer. Well, the band's manager, Tommy, took over on drums, even though he'd never played before. 
He also became their producer for three Get Up and Rock Your Face Off albums. And ultimately adding to this full circle moment, years later, Spin Magazine named the Ramones the second greatest rock and roll band ever after the Beatles. Out as a single in the summer of 77, Sheena is a punk rocker, found a home on the November 77 release called Rocket to Russia. As of summer 2014, not one original of the band was left standing, but of course their music lives on. Now, you remember the coupe? He came into the world as Vincent Damon Fernier. Fernier, if you're American. It's the mid-60s, and he has his high school buddies forming a band called The Earwigs. They dressed up kind of like the Beatles and parodied their songs. Soon the Earwigs became the Spiders. In 1967, they'd trip all the way from Phoenix to Los Angeles, about six-hour car drive. The Spiders became known there as Naz. By 68, having relocated to Los Angeles full-time, they found out there was another Naz led by Todd Rundgren. And so Vincent Fernier's band, and for that matter, before long, he himself would forevermore be referred to as... Alice Cooper. Cooper, a name chosen largely because it sounded relatively wholesome as compared to the imagery of the songs and the concerts. Now a band named after an actual person who'd been born in the 70s, the 1670s England, about 300 years later, came the other man who took his name. Both guys toiled, the first in the dirt, the second in the studio. The elder invented what's known as the seed drill back in 1701. The younger came up with the one-legged flute look, which was quite by accident. You see, Ian Anderson had a tendency to stand on one leg and play the harmonica. A journalist mistakenly noted he stood on one leg to play the flute, so he decided he would live up to that reputation and take up one of those instead. And he, like his namesake, had published works. The first, a book featuring an essay on the principles of tillage and nutrition. The other wrote songs, of course. Like this one. And that's how the agriculturalist named Jethro Tall led to the Ian Anderson band named Jethro Tall.
our look at how bands got their names. Footnote to that by Jethro Tull. Earlier, when their first single was pressed, the production department printed the label as Jethro Toe. So, really good thing that didn't take. There's been a lot of speculation as to where the name Max Webster came from. It's been suggested that the band members picked the name out of a phone book. That's not true. And among the many myths finally put to rest by my friend Kim Mitchell, whose great Canadian band were initially a trio for their first gigs in December 72. Kim was on guitar, bassist Mike Tilka, drummer Phil Trudell. They had other names like Stinky and Special Delivery, and then they settled on Max Webster by early 1973. It was a name concocted by Tilka while playing with the great guitarist Daryl Sturmer in a Milwaukee band called Family at Max. Sturmer had written a song inspired a guy named Ben Webster called Song for Webster, put him together, and you filed Max Webster albums under M like you filed Jethro Tull under J. Now take Max Webster put them together with Rush, you get this song. Kim Mitchell's classic Canadian band known as Max Webster. Few more bands named after people. Some more real ones now, though. Eddie Vedder's grandmother was named Pearl. She made great jam. Pearl Jam's previous band name was that of an NBA star named Mookie Blaylock. John Fogarty's brother, Tom, had a friend called Creedence Newball. Then there's Tesla, Dandy Warhols, the Jesus and Mary Chain, and Harvey Milk. Take Marilyn Monroe and add Charles Manson and you get a dude I feel better about 100 feet away from. Ever hear of Kasabian? Linda Kasabian was a member of the Charles Manson family who served as his getaway driver. Then there's the Brian Jonestown Massacre. So we did a pile of bands named after people. Now it's bands named after places, starting with cities like Boston, Chicago, Toronto, Berlin, Beirut. New York, New York Dolls, L.A. Guns, Detroit Wheels, Black Oak, Arkansas, Lincoln Park, Manhattan Transfer, London Choir Boys, London Suede, Manchester Orchestra, Bombay Bicycle Club, Tokyo Police Club. There's bands named after states like Alabama and the Blind Boys of Alabama and from Ohio, Ohio Players and from Kansas, Kansas and from Atlanta, the Atlanta Rhythm Section. And then there's this from the Georgia Satellites. Back to the debut album from Georgia Satellites. And there were bands named after countries like Japan and America. And bands named after continents like Europe and Asia. 
How about bands named after Stuff in Space? Like 30 Seconds to Mars, The Mars Volta, Bill Haley and the Comets. Bands named after flowers like Guns N' Roses, Stone Roses, Wallflowers, Snapdragons. You might think gin blossoms, but that's what they call the oversized noses of heavy boozers. Bands named after sports stuff like the Outfield and Fastball and the Zambonis. Bands named after vehicles. There's the one after the Model T Ford with an Irish accent. You get Tin Lizzy. And from way back, a Toronto-born Winnipeg guy looked south, figuring his best chance at the big time was in the United States. So Neil Young and his friends, none of whom had working permits, packed up the hearse, snuck across the border to the land of plenty and the land of traffic. In a traffic jam on Sunset Boulevard, L.A., is where, by chance, Stephen Stills and Richie Furey recognized Neil's 53 Pontiac hearse. A U-turn later, a new band was born. They found their name on the street, too. Steamroller for paving, made by a company known as Buffalo Springfield. There he is, Neil Young, singing Mr. Soul from his early days as the co-founder, co-lead singer of the Buffalo Springfield. More bands and how they got their names. There's the one that would feed your head. Singer Grace Slick contended that her former flame guitarist Paul Kantner named the group actually after a roach clip, specifically the kind of roach clip made from a paper match split in half. They called it Jefferson Airplane. Now, some people think it was a couple of brands of rolling papers, Zigzag and Top, the origin of the name of what would become the best little band from Texas, but Billy Gibbons thought as he recalled the band's early apartment, how it was lined with posters noting which blues bands were coming to town. Many of the artists went by initials, simply like D.C. Bender and B.B. King and Z.Z. Hill. He thought, Z.Z. and King, there's a good combo right there. But he thought Z.Z. King sounded too much like B.B. King, and that led Gibbons to pondering how a king was on the top, and so ZZ Top. Now, while some people's parents believed this last band's name stood for Against Christ Devil's Children, Angus and Malcolm Young had a sister named Margaret, known to use her mother's sewing machine, and on it the boys saw words alternating current, direct current, otherwise known as ACDC. To the Black Ice album, there's ACDC bringing to a boil another Records and Rockstars episode. Next time in part two, how bands got their names from poems and books and movies. With thanks this time to series producer Robbie Johnston, especially you for listening. Till next time. The Records and Rockstars radio podcast is available every Thursday. Be sure to subscribe for free through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your streaming audio so you never miss an episode rate and review to help us spread the word. All this and more at jeffwoodsradio.com.
I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at ivisonvoice.com slash podcast.